couldn't see to the right, couldn't see to the left where it goes, all you know is that it's probably not going to go to the same place, not even the same zip code. Am I going to keep dating this person? Am I not? Should I get married? Should I not? Take this job, take this other job? Should I make this risky investment? Should I start a business? Should I retire? Which college do I choose? Do we have a kid? Do we have another kid? All you know is that whatever path you take, your life's going to end up in a different place. And so you want to make the right decision. And you get to that crossroad and you wait. You wait for the decision to come to you. You start to worry. Feel a little bit of anxiety. The pressure builds in your chest because you cannot figure out which one is the right one to choose. You decide to pray. Makes a lot of sense, right? The thought goes, if God loves me and has a plan for my life, and this decision is so big, then he would want to get involved with this decision so that I could choose the right path, so that I wouldn't make a mistake and have an error. And so we pray, pleading for God to come to us in that place. I chose that picture because sometimes when we get to that crossroad, it feels like you are out in the wilderness alone having to make that decision. And it causes us to cry out to God. Uh, the content I want to share with you this morning, I came across over a year ago when I was preparing for the Genesis series, and I, I kind of slotted it into that July area, never, never really understanding, had no idea what we would be facing as a culture over the last few months. And um, I can tell you that Waypoint is at a crossroads right now. Uh, Jesus hasn't changed. Our mission hasn't changed. How we'll accomplish that mission, to the right or to the left, I don't know, and I can't see down the road. And so, like many times in my own personal life and in my ministry life, I find myself praying for wisdom and guidance and direction. And I think sometimes people do that. Sometimes people pray for God to give them some insight so that they can kind of offload the responsibility onto God. If something goes wrong, I can just say, well, God told me to do this. I don't know why it turned out this way. But I think most of us have this genuine desire to get it right. We, we want to make the right decision. So we pray. Can I tell you, it, what are we going to do about this? Do I need to switch something out? I'm just going to keep going. <sighs> Can I tell you, um, as I've prayed, I've been, I've been given answers by God at different times, but the most frequent, the most consistent answer I've been given in my life is this one. 
Silence. It's a hard answer to get. It's so hard, in fact, that sometimes people interpret it really poorly. And I've talked to a lot of people that when God was answering with, with silence, they assumed things about God. Like maybe God doesn't care. Uh, maybe he doesn't have a plan for my life. I, I gave you four. Maybe the decision doesn't matter. Maybe he's playing games with me. I've heard all of these from people when they were confronted with a moment of silence from God. I, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've, you've faced a difficult decision, you've, you've prayed about it, you pled with God about it, and all you got back from him was silence. And you became frustrated, maybe a little angry, disappointed, felt like he wasn't responding to you very well, didn't care for you at the time. And one of the things that never crossed your mind was that God was purposefully, intentionally giving you that answer. That was the answer you were supposed to get, was his silence. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons that we end up hearing silence from God. Uh, I think maybe someday we'll talk about that because I've had some different experiences where the silence that I was hearing was because of stuff that was going on in me. And so it's worthwhile to do some heart checks and that sort of thing. But I think there's a legitimate understanding to be had here that sometimes God answers with silence. It's, his whole, it's a whole purpose behind it. And I want to take you to a section of scripture today where that happens with somebody. God gave an intentional answer of silence and they didn't like it. And they demanded more from God. And because God is compassionate and loving God, he offered them a little bit more. And when he did, they took that little bit more and made a mess. A mess that you and I are still dealing with today. It's that big. So, so I want to take you into this. And my hope is that once you get this whole story, that once you understand what happened here, that when you find yourself at a crossroad, and I don't know if you're at one right now or not, but when you find yourself there, and if you identify that God's maybe answering you with silence, that you'll have a different response than what you've had in the past, that maybe you'll be able to embrace it and see it as something that's good and powerful in your life. So I want to take you to Genesis chapter 12. I want to introduce you to a guy named Abram. Uh, Abram, for some reason, up to this point in the scriptures, people have just been messing up left and right. And God finally finds somebody that he can work with. He finds, he finds somebody that he wants to go into partnership with. And he goes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and he says this to him. The Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Everything about this is wrong. This is not how their culture worked. This, this is um, kind of radical kind of thinking. You stayed with your father until he passed. Your whole goal was to make him successful until he was gone, and then you could go and do your thing. It's often why... The trade stayed in the family because you stayed with your father so long to help him learn his trade that when he passed, you had that skill and you kept doing it and your sons helped you. To leave your family, to leave your country, to leave your people 
This would have been um, somebody that you would identify as maybe the prodigal son where everybody would have looked at him and thought, what kind of garbage are you to leave your father? He's still alive. What is your problem? So this is risky. What God has asked him to do is risky, but it comes with some incentives. And those come out immediately. In verse 2, God says this to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Which at first seems that God is appealing to Abram's ego. But I think um, when we go back and we look at why God chose Abram, and someday we're going to do that, you're going to realize it was not because he had an ego. It was because he didn't have one. And you start to see that towards the end of this little verse here. Because he appeals to his desire to be a blessing. And it goes even deeper. And the next verse says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And then he ends the verse by saying this, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abram was just given a grand purpose. You want a purpose for your life, Abram? You're going to have a chance to do something with me that will bless everybody who lives. Do you want in? In the process of that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a promise to you about how I'm gonna do this and you're gonna be a great, great nation. But I'm gonna make this grand promise, I'm gonna have a grand purpose for you and it's gonna result in you being a great nation. Are you in? It's really cool. Except there's some holes. One, nowhere in here does God tell him how, when, and where this is going to happen. There's no discussion of that. It's simply, I'm going to do this. Will you choose to trust me or not? The second hole is bigger. Because Abram knows, and, and well, again, I'd have to prove this to you from earlier scripture. You're going to have to trust me on this. Abram already knows that his wife Sarai cannot have kids. So if you're planning to make me a great nation... I don't know how you're going to do it with the two of us. Because I, I trust you. I believe that you can do this. But I'm, I don't know how. But I know it's not the two of us. And so Abram decides to help God. We find this in verse 4. He makes a decision. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Radical. I cannot tell you stress enough how shocking that is. He actually follows through and leaves. But look at what he does. And Lot went with him. Why is Lot with him? If you go and look at the genealogy, he is not responsible for Lot. Lot falls to somebody else. But the ancient world works a little bit differently because if you had a relative who lived in your household and they had an offspring and something went um, from their offspring and became great, it could still be connected and attached to you. So Abram brings Lot along as an opportunity for God to fulfill his promise. You could say that it's an act of faith. I believe God's gonna do this. But it's a limited act of faith because the only way I think God can do this is if I help him by bringing Lot along. This isn't going to be pulled off by God on his own. And so off they go into the wilderness. Now, a lot happens. 
I'm going to speed this up a little bit, and i got to jump a lot of things. I apologize for that. But we get to a place in the story where Lot and Abram have both become wealthy. They have so many herds, they can't be in the same place. And they meet in a field about to have an argument. This is chapter 13, verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are brothers. That's the word that's in the Hebrew. It can be translated close relatives, and most of your NIV Bibles will have it as close relatives, but I think it was intended to be shaded. I think it was intended to be brother, even though they were not brothers. Why? Because two guys just met in the field who are close relatives, and they're going to have a discussion. And when, what happened the last time that happened in our story? Two brothers met in the field, and how did that turn out? One of them died. And in this story, Abram has the upper hand. He, he is the head of the household. He gets to choose the best for himself, and nobody would question that. And he goes against all the cultural norms, and he lets Lot look around and choose whatever he wants to have for his herds. In fact, the scriptures record that Abraham didn't even pick his eyes up. He didn't pick his eyes up until Lot had made his decision. And I think it's interesting, Lot, as he looked around at what land he wanted, it's the same look that they used for describing how Eve looked at the Garden of Eden. Same word. And the story ends by Lot choosing the best pasture land. And off he goes with his whole household, all of his servants, all of his land, or all of his um, animals, they're all gone. And we have focused on what Abram just lost. He lost really good, like, pasture grand, or pasture land. And we miss what he really lost. You see, if Abram believed that Lot was the one way that God was going to keep his promise to him, and he just let Lot go, what was he saying to God? I don't know how you're going to do this. Because how, when, and where still haven't been revealed, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because I don't see it and I don't get it, but I think you're going to work this out. And in chapter 14, it looks like things are going to work out. Because the city that Lot went and settled in gets attacked. And all the people in it, including Lot, and their possessions get taken away. And Abram rallies his, all of his servants, and they go and they get everybody back. They get all their possessions back. And it looks like he's got it. Like he's got Lot back. This is going to be okay. It's going to end out good. God, you worked this out. I knew this was going to be all right. Until verse 21 of chapter 4, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people. And keep the goods for yourself. He doesn't want the goods. He doesn't even want the people. He wants one thing. Lot. But when the king makes that request, Abram lets everybody choose. And it becomes very clear that Lot chooses to go back to Sodom. Because the next time we read about him, he is sitting in Sodom's gates 
acting as an elder, making important decisions. And for a second time in their relationship, Lot walked out of his life. But this time, the second time, Abram does not respond so well. Because the one way he thought God would fulfill his promise to him is now gone. And there is still no how, when, or where. And he is starting to become concerned. And so in chapter 15, verse 1, the first thing out of God's mouth was, Hey, I've got your back. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. Everything is okay. Everything's okay. But that is not okay in Abram's mind. And in his reaction to Lot leaving, he says this in verse 2, chapter 15. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? I know you just told me that you have my back, but what does it matter if you have my back if I don't have a kid? And if you haven't noticed, I don't have a kid. And the only person who's set up to inherit all of this is my chief servant. And I know how this works. When he inherits everything, my name goes into the dust bucket and it's over with. And we had this thing where you gave me a promise, where you offered me a purpose, and I'm looking for it to be played out and I don't see it. What's happening? Verse 3, and Abram said, it's interesting. I, I told you this during the Genesis series, but I want to remind you. When you see two, word, or two verses that are together like this, and they use the same phrase, and Abram said was in verse 2, and Abram said is in verse 3, this indicates that these are two different conversations And Abram said in verse 3, you have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. I'd love to put those two up on the screen so you can see them together. One of them is a question. What are we going to do? You can see I'm childless. This is the servant. The other one is a statement. It's terse, and it has attitude in it, and he's ticked off. And you know why he has attitude in it? Because if there were two conversations, and there were, how did God answer him in his first conversation? Silence. There's nothing recorded. We don't know if this was hours. We don't know if this was days, weeks, or months but he asked God a question. And God felt like he had already given him enough information in verse one that he should just rest and trust him with a how, when, and where. And it did not go well for Abram, and he demanded more. I want more. I don't have a child. I have a servant who's gonna be my heir. This is not what we agreed to. You're gonna have to give me more. And in verse 4, God does. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Let's be clear. 
God did not want to tell Abram this. If he would have, why wouldn't he have told him after he asked the first time? Why wouldn't you just lay that out there? Hey, this is what's going on, man. This is what's happening. Uh, I know you have questions about this. Instead, he offers him silence. Why? Why would he have offered him silence instead? Well, can I suggest two reasons? One, Abram already has a history of helping God. Like he brought Lot along when he didn't need to. He didn't need to be there, but he wanted to help with that. And in in terms of Abram's trust, his trust went as far as he could see the plan play out. And God was trying to stretch that into something bigger. I want you just to trust me, even if you can't see how this could work out. I want you to have a bigger trust in that. And so I'm offering you silence to stretch this thing. Which is not comforting. Like, have you ever been there? It's almost easier for me to identify with Abram than anybody else in the story. Because when I'm faced with a decision that I feel like my gut's tied in a knot over, I don't want silence from God. It's upsetting when he offers that as a solution. It's, not, it's, it's hard to see as, oh, you want to grow my trust now? How about growing my trust by telling me what you're going to do, and then when I see it, then I can go, oh, yeah, I guess I can trust you. You deliver on what you say. But none of that happened. God was trying to protect Abram with his silence, believe it or not. Because you know what happens next in the story? Abram finds out that it's going to be his flesh and blood And he and Sarai hatch a plan. Because it obviously cannot be him and Sarai. She can't have kids. So they decide that it's got to be the handmaiden. And so Sarai gives Hagar to Abram. And she becomes pregnant and has a boy. And they live happily ever after. That is not how it happens, right? Sarai is jealous that Hagar had that baby and starts abusing her. She gets to a place where she demands that she's removed from the family. And Ishmael and Hagar are both sent out into the desert and God has to rescue them. It's a mess. Ishmael becomes um, the head of what would become the Arab families. Abram and Sarah have name changes. They end up Abraham and Sarah, and they have a son named Isaac who becomes the father of the Jewish nation. And these two half-brothers have been in conflict with each other ever since, and we're still living under the weight of it because Abram couldn't accept silence as an answer. I mean, seriously, why wouldn't he have given, why wouldn't they have hatched the plan with Hagar earlier? They had years to do this. They didn't do it until they thought, this is the only sensible way for this to work out. If it's going to be my flesh and blood, this is the only sensible way. And God didn't want them to have that information because he was trying to protect them. And so he offered them silence. Why wouldn't God... But by the way, this takes 24 years to unfold. He's 75 when he leaves his homeland and treks off. 
and he's 99 when he finally has a kid. Why wouldn't God have sat down with him at age 75 and said, Abram, here's the plan. You're going to go off and do a bunch of things, but you're going to wait for 24 years. And when you're 99 and Sarai's 90, you're going to have a child together. So you just need to be patient and wait. Why didn't he do it that way? Can I suggest two reasons? The first is, when Abram and Sarai find out about God's plans, and their names are Abram and Sarah by then, here's what Abraham does. This is Genesis 17, 17. He hears God's plan, and he laughs. Sarah finds out about it in Genesis 18, 12. She laughs to herself. You know why God doesn't sit down and give you the plan up front? You wouldn't believe it if you heard it. You'd, you'd reject it outright. Because often God's plans use your weaknesses in ways that you could never imagine. And you would discount it almost immediately if you heard what he said. He understands things that we don't understand. The scriptures say his ways are higher than our ways. He has the ability to take stuff that you couldn't have possibly imagined and do something with it. Have you ever had something happen in your life where it worked out and you thought to yourself, I did not see it coming like that? It's happened to me a lot. It's the hand of God at work. Because the way you would imagine it, the way you would think it should be, is not always the way God does things. And all he's looking for are people who are willing to trust him and to follow, even when his ways don't make sense. There's a second reason, I think, that God doesn't lay out the full plan for you. It's why you don't know your full plan right now. Is because faith and trust don't work on that kind of schedule. God doesn't give you the whole list and then you just kind of start checking stuff off. Yep, God, it's going exactly as planned. Wait, wait, wait. This seems to be off track. Get back on track, God. It's not how it works. It's not how it works in life. When you go and get some sort of education for school, you don't, you don't believe that you're going to do that job for the rest of your life, are you? Because that's the thing that you train for. That's all you'll ever do. That's not how it works. You end up involved using your skills in lots of other ways. When you get married, it's for better or for worse. And there are times when it's for worse, right? And it's hard. And you signed up for the better, but you get the whole package. And this is the case with God. When he says, listen, I want you to trust me. He's, he's asking you to take steps down a journey that you might not fully understand, but he does. And in some cases, he's withholding the whole picture from you because he's trying to protect you. He doesn't want you to try to help anymore. Or he's doing it because he's trying to love you so that your faith will be stretched and grow in ways that had not been there before. Because you don't know what he has to grow you through to get you to the place where you're ready for him to fulfill that purpose for your life. 
You don't, I don't know what mine is. My purpose is to honor God as long as I'm alive. He gets to steer the ship. But I don't know what he has in mind. And the only way that I can take a hold of that is by being faithful. So the question is, what happens? What happens when I find myself at a crossroad? And I don't know if I should go left or right. And all God gives me is silence. What do I do? Maybe we take a lesson from the life of Abram, the one that we just looked at and talked about. I want you to think about that moment where he stood in a field with Lot. Nowhere in the scriptures is it recorded that God says, I want you to handle it this way. All Lot had up to that point was a desire to honor God and the character that God had been building in him all along. And now he had to act on that. He had to do his best. And he does really well. He makes other mistakes in other parts of the story. But in this moment, he decides to humble himself. And he lets Lot choose. And it honors God. And God honors him for it. All of it happened because he was willing to act. Have you ever considered that one of the reasons God might be answering you with silence is because he trusts you to make the decision? He's either given you enough information in the scriptures or he's given you the character and you have enough faith built up in this moment to face that crossroad and decide. See, for Lot and that decision on that hillside, it did not matter if he went or if he stayed. Didn't change God's plan. It didn't matter if Abram lost the best fields or had the worst fields. Didn't change God's plan. Not for, not for Abram. All that mattered in that moment was that he lived out the character that God expected of him. And when he humbled himself and did that, he made a decision that would alter the direction of his life, but it honored God in doing so. See, I, I believe that you will face all kinds of difficult choices in your life. And the answer that God will give you is silence. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't care about the decision. It's not because it's not a big decision. In some cases, he's silent because he trusts you to make that decision, to use the character that he's been developing in you this whole time to make a choice that honors him. Other times, he's silent because it protects you if you were to find out too much more about what he had planned, you wouldn't believe it and you would back away. You would, you would back up and say, I, I think you've got the wrong person. That's not what I'm capable of. That's not what I was meant to do. I know better than you, God. And so his silence allows us to keep taking steps of faith. I, I don't know when you're gonna face your next big crossroad. I know it's coming, and it would be great if God made things clear. But if he doesn't, if he's, if he's silent this time around, I hope you'll embrace that as a sign that God loves you 
not that he's abandoned you. And that you'll step into that with courage and become the person God has been creating you to be all along. Can I pray with you? I want to start by just giving God some silence with us. If he has anything to say to you this morning, I hope that he will. And if not, maybe all that you need to do is just get used to a little bit of silence because sometimes this is how God interacts with us on purpose. God, I um, can't tell you how thankful I was to discover in the scriptures that your silence is sometimes purposeful because I can, I can remember times in my life when those were the most frustrating moments, when I felt like I was the most sensitive to God. I was trying to listen carefully. I wanted direction. I wanted insight. And all I was getting was silence, and I did not identify that as love. And it's so comforting to know that even when you address us with silence, there is a loving heart behind it. A heart that wants to protect us, a heart that wants to grow us. A heart that wants us to have some freedom to honor and love you. God, I know as a people in this building, people at home listening, step up to this crossroads that we face and feel their chest tightening, feel the anxiety, feel the worry about how to make the right decision. I ask that you would become a source of hope and comfort and that would not be lost if what they hear from you is silence. Like you told Abram, you will be our shield. You will be our protection. May we count on that and step into these lives that you've entrusted us to live. We love you. Thank you for loving us, even in the silent moments. In Jesus' name, amen.